princes, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you now to teach us your word. This is your book, inspired, preserved for us here. We're thankful that it's trustworthy. We're thankful that it is indeed the word of God. And Lord, we ask you to teach us through it. May the Holy Ghost of God speak to each heart. And Lord, a little bit different topic today, but one that I think Christians all over America need to consider. I pray you'd help our church to be responsive, receptive to this topic, and then that we would strive to live it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is teaching the young preacher Timothy many important things. Uh, He told him to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he reminds him that he needs to be teaching others, finding faithful men that he can teach the doctrines of God and who can help him spread the good news of God and work in the church. Verse number 3, we see that the Apostle Paul reminds him to endure hardness as a good soldier. Verse 4, we see that a soldier doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of life. A soldier doesn't take his wife and kids with him on when he's on the warfare. He doesn't take his, his uh, a Nintendo with him and he's out in the, the uh, uh, foxhole with his Nintendo Switch playing his games and he's not out there walking his rounds with his uh, AirPods in, uh, listening to pleasurable music. No, he's a soldier. He's alert. He's focused. He's hard because there's a job to do, and it's a deadly, deadly situation. Verse 5, he reminds him to strive for masteries, but you must strive lawfully. All important subjects for a young preacher to know. But today we focus on this verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the young preacher that he is in a spiritual battle. Paul tells him that he must have the constitution of a soldier. The ministry is not soft. The work of God is not for sissies. It is a spiritual battle. Specifically here, Paul told him that he would have to endure hardness. It's an interesting word, hardness. What does hardness mean? The dictionary uses words like difficulty, scarcity, coarseness, severity, rigor, cruelty, hardness. And when we're serving God, Timothy, you're going to have to endure some hard things. You might run up against cruel people or cruel situations. You might have to serve with rigor and terribly hard work. You're going to be in severe situations, perhaps severe hunger, 
severe financial straits, severe weather. You're going to have to deal with coarseness, coarse people, coarse terrain. You're going to have to deal with scarcity. Often you won't have what you think you need. You're going to have to deal with difficulty. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you're a good young preacher. You've got a good life ahead of you. You're going to do a lot of important things. But you must learn to endure hardness. And he reminds him that he's a soldier in God's army. You know, it's interesting to be reminded that we're soldiers in God's army. Soldiers are called to a life of hardness. They must leave behind the privileges of individualism and the comforts of society. At the moment they arrive for duty, they begin the process of hardening. Some of you that went to boot camp, I never have, but I've heard many stories and read many stories and listened to people about it. And One of the first things they did, at least I was talking to a man, he said one of the first things they did when, they, when we showed up for boot camp is, well, first they put us on a bus, didn't tell us where we were going, didn't tell us anything. We didn't have the privilege of that information. From the very moment we showed up and got on a bus, we learned to do what we were told when we were told without question. He said we got to the place and they took us to a little station and we had to give them all of our personal items. Anything that made me feel individual, anything from home, any reminder of my home life, they took and exchanged it for clothes like everybody else, in a bunk like everybody else, in a room with everybody else. He said, then they cut our hair and gave us all the same haircut. No individual haircuts there. We got up at the same time. We did the same work. We ate what, the, what we were told. There was no choice. The process of hardening began. And depending on what branch you were in, a six weeks or nine weeks or 13 weeks or whatever the case may be, whatever the situation was at the time, They would begin the process of hardening, hardening the body, push-ups after push-ups, sit-ups after sit-ups, pull-ups, running. I was just watched recently a little clip, and they had two kind of skinny-looking guys uh, in the, the camos and didn't look like much, and then they had a big, bulky sports player, and they had a little ropes course that the guys had to go through, and it was pretty tough, looked pretty tough, and you got this little scrawny guy, he didn't look like much, he gets on there and just takes minutes and just goes through this ropes course, holding on the whole time and swinging and then getting on his legs and getting on a pole and moving himself across and then getting on the rings and moving him, and uh, wow, pretty impressive. But here's this other guy, and he's all buff, and his muscles are much larger, and he looks much more imposing, and he gets on there and he gets about a quarter of a way through the course and couldn't do anymore. You know why? Because the army man was hard. His muscles were hardened to that course. He was used to the work. And while the other man looked much more impressive and imposing, he just wasn't hardened to that. His body wasn't used to that. These people, they'll strap on a 90-pound field pack and run 5, 10, 12 miles. I have a 90-pound field pack on the front. 
and uh, I'm in training all the time. <laughs> but imagine not just running 5, 10, 12 miles, throwing on a pack, weighs 100 pounds and doing it. In army boots. Not, not $100, $200 running shoes. Combat boots. See, boot camp begins the hardening process. But not just the physical hardening, the mental and emotional hardening. Hardening the emotions of where you have to learn to put your feelings aside. What you feel is not as important as the objective. The mental hardening of learning that you can do far beyond what you think you can do. I was listening to an audio book by a couple SEALs. And uh, the SEALs, they go to BUDS training. And then their special warfare training. And they were talking about after, after boot camp, if you want to become a SEAL, you have to start going to this special training. And they said about 90-some percent of all who apply fail. And in SEAL training, there's a lot of physical things. And you look at the physicality of it, and you realize, man, very few people on the planet could do that. But what the SEALs tell you and what the instructors tell you is the training isn't really physical at all. It's mental. Because most of the people who apply have the physical stamina to do what's required. But they don't have the mental hardness. And there's a hardening that has to happen. And in, in SEAL training, uh, there's a bell stationed in the compound. And if you want to quit, you just go ring the bell. And it might be moving logs, and they'll all get in a sand pit, and they'll all have a big log. And in team training, they'll have this log, and they'll have to move it together and put it on this side and put it above their head and put it on this side and, and this and that. I mean, for hours doing this. Then the physical work of hours, but it's not the physicality they're, they're trying to train into them. It's finding out who has the mental hardness to keep going when you think your body can't. Amen. And one of the instructors said your body can do far more than you think it can. And they would start to struggle and an instructor would say, go ring the bell. You want to go home? Ring the bell. You want a warm meal? Ring the bell. You want a shower? Ring the bell. You want to go take a nap? Ring the bell. You can be home tomorrow. You can go see your parents tomorrow. You can be in comfort tonight. Ring the bell. And many of them do. It's this process of hardening. In SEAL training, they'll have them sit down in the surf and the cold Pacific Ocean. The current in the Pacific comes down from the Atlantic. So even though it's warm out there in the air, the water is often cold and They'll have them link arms and sit in the surf for hours and the surf just comes and, and begins to wash over them and they're freezing and they're shivering. And then the, the surf will get up in their nose. They'll have to hold their breath as it washes over them as high tide comes in. And for hours, they'll just have to sit there learning that it's okay to be cold and it's okay to be tired and it's okay to hurt, but they can keep going. It's a process of hardening. One man was asked, what was the hardest thing about SEAL training? And they said, from time to time, an officer would come to you. And if you did something wrong, or maybe you didn't do anything wrong, they just wanted to test you. They would say, go make yourself a sugar cookie. Now, the sugar cookies I know I like. 
Nice little warm cookie coming out of the oven. A little sugar, a little cinnamon. I mean, hey, hallelujah right there. That's good. Well, that's not the kind of sugar cookie they're talking about. They would have to go dip themselves in the water, and then they would roll around in the sand, covering every inch of their bodies in sand, getting it in every nook and cranny, and then they would stand up, and then they would have to go back and do their calisthenics or running with those fine sand sticking to their body. You know, if you go to the beach around here, you'll see sand in your car for like the next three years. It just gets everywhere, doesn't it? And imagine having it just caked on your body as your arms are scraping and your legs are rubbing and in your shoes and just all over you, the chafing, the pain that comes from just covering. And he said, out of, out of all of boot camp, out of all Bud's training, the worst thing was becoming a sugar cookie. Why'd they do that? Because they could. And to teach you, you're going to be uncomfortable. Circumstances won't always be what you hoped. But you continue the mission. See, the hardness of a soldier. Why is this hardness necessary? Well, soldiers protect the innocent. Even if you call the police around here, hopefully they're bigger than you are. Hopefully they're tougher than you are. Hopefully they've got some skills you don't have. Soldiers protect the enemy. Soldiers protect the innocent. Soldiers defeat the enemy. Soldiers are dealing with people that want to take their lives and take the lives of innocents. They have to be prepared. Soldiers must be prepared to do whatever is necessary to complete the objective. Softness is the enemy of the soldier. A soft soldier usually won't make it out of combat. Think about this. Only a knife with hardened steel can hold a useful edge. You ever had a knife that just wouldn't stay sharp? But then you get a knife, and man, it'll hold an edge. I got a little tiny case knife made in America, amen? A uh, little tiny case knife about that big. And that thing's got a blade on it that it holds an edge. And I've had bigger knives and more impressive looking knives, and it seems like they just need sharpened all the time. But man, that little knife with that hardened steel. If you look at the history of soldiers, you see a history of hardness. Think about the physical problems of soldiers through the years. Foot problems are the bane of every soldier corps. In World War I, it was trench foot. The Revolutionary War, it was frostbite. If an army can't march, they can't fight. In Vietnam, it was the punji sticks and the toe poppers and all the little booby traps trying to hurt the feet of the soldier. Think about the weather. In some cases, extreme heat, perhaps the extreme heat of Vietnam, the extreme heat of, of the Middle East, or it's the extreme cold. I think about 
Over in the Middle East, they say when the first Gulf War, the sand was a much larger problem than they imagined. The, the equipment didn't function in sand, and you get sand in your guns and sand in your tanks and sand in every, all your electronic equipment. Think about the mental difficulties. Living in constant threat, I was listening to a story about some, a man that was in Vietnam, and he was talking about how he eventually, it's an amazing story, he eventually was in a helicopter crash, lost two, lost two legs and an arm, and eventually became a story of victory and motivation helping people. But he would talk about just being under constant threat. Just your adrenaline's pumping all the time. It's like your, your adrenaline just, just never gets a break. And, and then trying to come home and, and live not being in, in danger and not being in, in fear of your life. The mental conditions of being literally under fire, literally being shot at. The mental strain of watching the death of friends and squad members. Think about the emotional strain of separation from family, not seeing family for months at a time. The nasty food. The loss of hope. See, the history of a soldier is a history of hardness. You say, preacher, why are you talking about all this? Because God told us, Christian, you need to learn to endure hardness. I was doing some research, and they had a top ten list of soldier hardships in the Civil War. The hardest thing about the Civil War, the number one problem that soldiers faced was starvation. Think about that. Starvation. And then disease. And then number three, harsh weather. Number four, being left behind in battle. Number five, watching a friend die in the war. Six, hygiene. In my research, it said that the northern soldiers were given little hygiene packets, a comb and a brush and soap and different things, but the south didn't have any of that. And so oftentimes they were so filthy that if they got injured or wounded, disease it would set in so quickly. They talked about that they, would had, they had wool uniforms and the wool uniforms, they would be so hot in the summer. But then the wool attracted fleas and ticks and all the bugs. And then the, the sweat would get in there and dry and then chafe. Things that we don't even think about. Exhaustion, number seven. Number eight, thought of dying. Number nine, missing family. Number ten, improper clothing. We talked about things like boots. And shoes, and you read the Revolutionary War and the Civil War not having the right gear for the cold weather. You see, you have to endure hardness. I read a story of a man who was in Vietnam in the jungle, and he said the heat was one thing, but, but the jungle was an enemy of itself. He said we just weren't prepared for jungle life. The, the poisonous snakes, the, the uh, plants that were poisonous and that, that would hurt you, and then the, the bugs, spiders and bugs like we'd never seen. I was reading a, man of a, a story of a man who got saved, 
And they, they would often say they, they got so hard to it. They just got to the point where they were like dead inside. And a new recruit would come and a spider would be like on their, their shoulder or something, drop out of the jungle on their shoulder. And ah, ah! and an older man, this, this sergeant, said he would just take the spider and throw it in his mouth and start eating it. He said, boy, you better get used to the bugs. The hardness. Now, thank God we're not in that type of army. Thank God we don't have to live through those things. And we ought to all of us thank God for those who are serving and enduring hardness today so we don't have to. We're going to go home to a, a warm house and sit in comfortable seating and maybe even watch a little football or eat a decent meal. And we're sitting in padded pews and comfortable building. And we ought to be thankful for those things. Every soldier must endure hardness. And what the scripture says here is... Timothy, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let me say a couple things and we'll go to the house. Let me say that every follower of Christ must learn to endure hardness. If you don't learn to endure some hardness, you're not going to follow Christ very long. Now, thankfully, it probably won't be bugs. Thankfully, it probably won't be the extreme temperatures and all of those things. It may not be the physical danger, but we're going to have to learn to go without some comforts, to go without some pleasure, to deny ourselves of some things, to deal with difficult people, to make tough choices if we're going to be a follower of Christ. Look at Luke chapter 9. We'd much rather hear a sermon on the love of God, wouldn't we? But I tell you, we've got to understand that sometimes life's going to throw us some hardness. And we have to endure it if we're going to follow Christ and make a difference in this world. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 22. Saying, the Son of Man must, what's the next word? Suffer. The Son of Man must suffer. Many things and be what's the next word rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be what's the next word slain and be raised the third day. So here's the son of God. He's teaching his disciples. Listen, you're following me. You think I'm going to set up the kingdom, but that's not happening yet. That'll happen one of these days. That's not happening yet. He said, first, I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must be slain. And then look at the next verse, verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What's what's the Lord saying? The Lord's saying, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be slain. Now, that may not be your fate, but you will have to deny yourself. You will have to bear a cross of your own and you will have to follow me. What's he saying? Disciples, you're going to have to endure some hardness. You want to follow me? The path to greatness leads to the cross. The path to the millennium leads through Calvary. The path to the empty tomb leads to hanging on the cross. And oftentimes in Christianity, on our march to glory, we're going to have to go through some tough times. The Bible speaks of denial. 
and the daily cross and putting aside our own dreams and wishes to follow the Master. You say, preacher, that's not what I want. That's not what I'm looking for. Well, there's someone who will promise you something different. You see, if that's your attitude, Satan is very quick to come to you and promise you luxury, comfort, and pleasure. If that's what you're looking for, Satan will offer it to you in a heartbeat. The problem is Satan promises luxury, comfort, and pleasure, but delivers only pain, sorrow, and death. Look at Daniel chapter 8. The Bible speaks of the Antichrist. Daniel is a fascinating book and is wonderful to be studied in conjunction with the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter, chapters 8 and 9 give some amazing information about the Antichrist and the end times. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 8, and we'll just pick two verses here. Look at verse 24. This speaks of the Antichrist. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy, what's the next word? Wonderfully. And shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and holy people. Verse 25, and through his policy, that word means politics. Satan uses politics even in our world today. All this ungodly politics you see happening is a way that Satan is trying to destroy our country. And through his policy also shall he cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. Now wait a minute. The Bible says he's going to destroy wonderfully, and he's going to destroy by peace. Comfort and pleasure and false peace are open doors for the destruction of Satan. Now, I'm not going to go live in a monastery and deny myself of all pleasure. It's not what the Bible says. I'm thankful for a comfortable mattress. I even bought a my pillow from that weird guy on TV. Yeah, I want to be comfortable. Amen. By the way, not a bad pillow. I'm not opposed to comfort. I'm glad I've got a comfortable chair I can sit in a home. And my clothes fit most of the time. And different things. But watch this. If you put comfort above Christ, Satan will destroy you. If you put pleasure above principle, the devil will defeat you. If you desire peace at any cost, the adversary will punish you. These verses speak of the tools of the Antichrist. Look at Ezekiel chapter 16. Turn back one book there, Ezekiel chapter 16. The Bible gives us an illustration of how Satan used these things to even pervert Sodom and Gomorrah. 
The city of Sodom is infamous for its wickedness. How did they get to that place? Look at Ezekiel chapter 16. Look at verse 47. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as if that were a very little thing, thou wast corrupted more than they in all thy ways. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters, as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. So he's saying, look, you're worse than Sodom. You've gotten to a place where you're worse than Sodom. These are the people of God. And if we're not careful, churches can be corrupted. And cultures can be corrupted by sin and wickedness. Look at verse 49. How did this happen? Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. This was Sodom's problem, and we see three things. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. That is a recipe for destruction. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. Now listen, if you get lifted up and begin to feel like you don't need God, you're already in trouble. But then you begin to be full. You have enough food to eat. You have enough money in the bank. You're all cared for. You don't have worries about day-to-day life. And now you have idleness. You just got too much time on your hands. What the old-timers say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. We see this played out in our community. The rich people don't want God. The people that live in the mansions and the rich areas, they don't need God. Why? Pride. Fullness of bread. I'm not going to take Sunday, my only day off, and go to church. And listen to me, every Christian in here, when you get to the place, you get a little lifted up with pride. You begin to, you, you're, you begin to take God out of your heart <clears throat> Uh, and just set him to the side a little bit. Proverbs 14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And so you just begin to, to choose yourself. You just begin to put yourself first and what I want and what I need. And you just begin to backslide a little bit in your heart. And then, then you have enough food and you, you're not struggling. And, and you're, I mean, you have difficulties, but I mean, you've got enough. And then you stay up too late. And now what are you watching? You have a little bit too much time on your hand. And now what you're doing? You know, when we study the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, we find that one thing that turned him to himself was the lack of daily provision. He said, listen, I'm ready to eat the husk that I'm feeding the swine. I'm ready to eat the pig's food. He said, my father has servants that are living better than I am. I'll go home to my father. But we live in a world where, listen, I'm concerned about our welfare system in our country. I think we ought to help people that can't help themselves. But listen to this. On a spiritual, from a spiritual point of view, the welfare system often props people up in sin, makes them just comfortable enough so they can continue in their sin without feeling the full weight of the consequences of their lives. And so we give them a place to live and we'll give them food to eat. We'll even give them a phone and we'll pay their utilities. When are they going to come to themselves? And we've got to be careful with loved ones. They get a little off track. And so, man, we let them, we just give them a place to stay and we'll keep bailing them out of problems. And when are they going to feel the consequences of living without Christ? My Lord. Yes, Lord. And we see the 
recipe for the destruction of Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. And those three things, if they go unchecked, can lead to the worst sins on the planet. This is Satan's plan. But God reminds us, Christian, you need to endure hardness. You need to learn to do without. Better is a little with righteousness, Proverbs says. I'm willing to go without to do the right thing. I'm willing to be uncomfortable to please God. I'm willing to deal with the consequences of people and they don't like what I'm what the decisions I'm making if I'm pleasing the Lord. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, we see a very wise man teach us an important lesson. Is this helping you? Proverbs chapter 30 And look at verse 7. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. What are they? Number one, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. He said, Lord, don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Give me what I need. Why? What's the danger? I mean, wouldn't we all just rather have too much than too little? Wouldn't we rather have too much than just enough? Well, here's the danger and here's the wisdom. Look at verse 9. Lest or unless I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? See, that's the pride. Who's the Lord? I can do what I want. It's my life. It's my money. I'll do what I want. I'll go where I please. That pride, the fullness of bread, the abundance of idleness, too much causes us to disregard God. But then wait, the other extreme, too little, also has its problems. Look at verse 9. Or lest, or unless I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. See, a, a lack a lack of things can make us or encourage us to make foolish decisions. Even sin. Would you steal to feed your family? What would you do to feed your babies? See, the danger is too much and too little. Let me say this. In America, Satan is good at making us think we have too little when really we have enough. But he'll make us feel like we don't have enough. You know, you don't need everything in the catalog that just came in the mail this week. You don't need everything you see online. You don't need everything the commercials. I don't need every tool in Home Depot. I think I do. But I don't. And see, when when Satan gets you to believe that you don't have enough, that you're poor, that God isn't doing you right, 
then that encourages you to make foolish decisions, to steal and to take the Lord's name in vain. When the truth is, the poorest American is more wealthy than most of the world. And I wonder if we just looked around at our lives and rather than feel all the things we don't have, I mean, good night Americans are spending billions of dollars in storage because we've got more stuff than we can fit in our houses and garages. We feel like we don't have enough. This is a trick of Satan. And may we say with the wise man in Proverbs, Lord, give me exactly what I need. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Don't follow Christ because you think he will fix all your problems. We don't preach a health and wealth gospel here. Some churches say, well, if you get saved, God will make you rich. He'll make you rich in heaven, but your bank account might be empty. Well, if you, if you just trust Jesus, you'll never be sick again. Well, tell that to the Apostle Paul. Tell that to Job. See, we don't, we don't trust Jesus because we're hoping that he'll give us. I was reading the book of John, the Gospel of John this week, and so many followed him not for the miracles, but because he fed them. And Jesus said, you're not following me even for the miracles I do, because I gave you a sandwich. And if you're following Jesus for the wrong reason, as soon as hardship comes, as soon as a trial comes, as soon as a difficulty comes, we begin to blame God. But no, God's the one that told us, if you want to follow me, you need to learn to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then follow me. Paul told Timothy that you need to endure hardness as a good soldier. Learn to do without. Learn to deal with coarseness and severity and scarcity and lack. We don't follow Christ because he fixes all our problems. We follow him because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And whether I'm doing well or I'm doing not so well, he's still king. And whether I'm healthy or sick, he's still good. And whether I'm rich or poor, he's still just. We follow him for who he is, not for what he does for us. The Christian life is infinitely better than the selfish life. How many of you could testify to that? But never forget that the Christian life is a life of sacrifice and suffering. Our Lord and Savior was cursed of men, hung on a cross, and died for sins he didn't commit. And Jesus said, is the servant greater than the master? What was he saying? You're going to have to endure hardness. You might be misunderstood. You might be mocked. You might be scorned. Even hung on a cross. Endure hardness. Let me show you the last verse here. I love this verse. Hebrews chapter 6. 
You know, God didn't promise that we wouldn't suffer in this life. On the contrary, he said, no, you're going to suffer. Just make sure you suffer righteously. Don't suffer for wrongdoing. It's better to suffer for being a Christian than to suffer for being a thief. But what God did promise us is that if we suffer, he will never forsake us and that he will reward us for righteous suffering. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Let's read it together. Ready? For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. I love that verse. God says, I'm not going to forget the good things you do for my name. You're going to suffer, but I won't forget your righteous suffering. Serving me might be hard, but I'll reward you for it. We're going to suffer either way in this life. But God rewards faithfulness. What does this mean? It means we obey God when it's hard. It means we obey God when it's difficult. It means we do right when nobody else is doing right. It means we follow Christ when it hurts. We keep our eyes on Him when we don't understand. And even if we get nailed to a cross... We turn our eyes to heaven. And we trust him. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What a powerful example of hardness. Has anyone other than Christ gone through more than Job? And yet through all of that, he looks at the Lord and says, you can kill me inch by inch and little by little, but I will still trust you. And sometimes it can feel like you're just dying little by little. Like the pressures of life are just squeezing you to death. Say, so what do you do? You endure it. And you get hard. Not a hard heart. A hard heart in the Bible is a terrible thing but you're willing to endure hardness. Mentally, you can take more than you think you can. Your faith is stronger than you think it is. Your God is closer than He feels. One of my preachers used to say, it's easier to limp forward than backwards. I hurt my foot one time and I tried it. It's almost impossible to limp backwards. But you can limp forward. Billy Sunday said, I'm going to fight the devil as long as I've got a fist. I'm going to kick the devil as long as I've got a foot. I'm going to bite the devil as long as I've got teeth. And one of these days, if I'm fitless, if I'm fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum him all the way to heaven. There's just that little bit of hardness. It says, I'm not quitting. I'm a soldier. Continue the mission. 
I'll do what I'm supposed to do even when it's hard. Hardness is a part of life. Don't run from it. Pleasure and comfort are a blessing, but they can be used of Satan to turn us away from God. Be content. Do the hard things. Be a good soldier in the army of God. For faithful is he who called you who also will do it. And he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him and serve him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth today. We pray that you'd help us to endure hardness as the scripture tells us. And Lord, sometimes in America we're so blessed it's easy to forget that it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to not have the newest gadgets and best toys and all the comforts of American life. What's most important is you and your will and your way and your work. I pray you'd help us today as a church and as individuals that with your help, with your grace and strength, we would be willing to endure hardness and continue the mission and complete the objective, the reason for which you've created us. Pray you'd speak to each heart. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Of course, if you're here this morning, you're not sure you're saved. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. There's no reason in the world for anybody to go to hell, not one reason at all. Jesus Christ paid your way. Why in the world would you reject him? If you're willing to put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, you can be born again. That's you. We'd love to take a Bible and show you what it means. Christian, are you willing to endure hardness? The truth is you're going to endure it either way. It's just a matter of if you endure it faithfully, if you use it as a reason to quit, to complain, to question. May we learn the lesson that God told Timothy. Timothy, endure hardness. You've got a good life in front of you. You've got a lot of good you can do. But you're going to have to learn to endure hardness as a good soldier. Let's stand as the piano plays.